Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. So, what is one of your least favorite household chores? Toilets, oh yeah. So you got, some of you had one come to mind. I heard toilets, dishes, right? Dishes, any cooking? Anyone say cooking, don't like cooking? Oh, I guess some people don't like to cook. Or mowing, or when you have to fix things that are broken. Household chores, they are necessary. It's a responsibility. They have value, despite the fact that we may not like all of them. They have a purpose. They have meaning, I may not like dishes, but when I pour a drink into a cup and I see a floaty, I like the fact that someone knows how to do dishes, right? You know, I may not like doing the lawn, but I don't want to be that house on the street with the grass that's up to here. And so they all have meaning. They all, well, maybe. You know what's my least favorite one? Making the bed. I just, I just don't get it. I sleep in the bed. I leave the sheets there. Hardly anyone enters the room ever. I come back. I expect them to be there. That doesn't have to be made, in my opinion. I don't see the value of making the bed. I mean, my bedroom is not a showroom, right? I don't have people come in. Maybe on that rare occasion, you know, you have the big party, and you have everybody over, and you double your bed as a giant coat rack, right? That at the end of the day, you got to excavate to find your friend's purse. You know, like, I don't know. It's in here somewhere, right? I, on those occasions, I will make the bed, which actually brings me to another gripe about making the bed is I'm not particularly good at it, all right? Um, when I literally have had a time where I'm making this bed for a party, and my wife comes in, and she goes, John, would you make the bed? After I've already made the bed. I don't, I don't get the system. It's not all tight. There's quilts, and then there's decorative quilts, and there's functional quilts, and then there's pillows, and there's functional pillows, and then there's small pillows that I have no idea what you would use them for. I don't know how to do it very well. And so that's another reason that I don't like making the bed. And so you know what my general pro- approach is? Not general, all the time approach. I just don't do it. If you ever see a bed made in my house, my wife is the one who has done it, right? And so that's sometimes how we see things that are responsibility or activity. No one wants to do a pointless activity that they don't see the meaning or the value in. And no one really wants to engage in an activity that you don't feel very equipped for, that you feel like, I'm just going to fail, so why even do it? And yet we all engage in all these type of activities through our day, through our week, that if you look back, you're like, uh, that's, what's the point of that? Again, similar in the house. Have you ever gone to the fridge and you open it up and you're just standing there and you're looking for food and you're standing there and you're looking for food and you're standing there looking for food? Why are you standing there? No other food is going to appear, right? And you close it and you walk away. And then if you're like me, minutes later you walk back to the same fridge and you're like, like something else, someone went shopping in that 60 seconds, it's still not there. It's pointless. We're spending all this time. Or... Watching bad TV. 
You start a show, and you know within a few minutes, this is a terrible show. And then an hour later, you finish it, and you go, yeah, that was a terrible show. Why'd you waste all that time? Or we waste a lot of our time looking for bad TV. Who spent more time looking for a show on Netflix than even the show is? You're just looking and looking and looking only to find a bad show. Or these phones, man, these are culprits right there of wasting time, just scrolling past things, trying to entertain ourselves. Or looking back at posts that we made and checking on a likes only to close it and then a few minutes later open it up again and look at it again. Maintaining your social media image. Or spending time worrying about a conversation that you had and thinking and replaying it, worrying over and over. There's lots of activity that we spend a lot of time in that we don't see the meaning. It's pointless, but we still do it. Why do these type of activities get our time? Well, sometimes we're lacking a purpose, a mission, something that drives us. And today, we're going to look at living our lives as followers of Jesus with mission, with purpose. As Christians who follow Jesus, he gave us, he showed us, and then he invites us all into this incredible mission. Now, sometimes as Christians, as followers, we don't realize or even we forget that we have a great mission. We have a purpose we've been given. We don't realize or we forget that we have a way that we're supposed to live. How are we to live? Jesus assigned that to us. As believers who follow after him, we have many reasons that we can forget about that. We get lost in ourselves. We get lost in our problems. We get lost in our temptations and our failures. We get lost in the failures of others and friends and families. We get lost in our culture. We get lost in the brokenness. We get lost in hopelessness. Now at one point, as believers, our past lives, we were lost. You were in hopelessness. But we are not lost. We're not in hopelessness. We are found. We have been found in hope. All followers of Jesus, we have reason. We have purpose. We have meaning. It is the good news of the gospel. Mickey did a whole series on the good news. God is real. God is love. He is just. He is pure. And yes, we all make mistakes. We don't have the ability to own up to a perfect standard. We all fall short. But Jesus died for those moral failures. He died for our sins. He doesn't ask us to clean up first and then come to him. He has us come to him. And we receive his forgiveness and his grace. And that is what has us seen in his eyes as clean. He's the one that cleans us up. We don't clean up first. He gives us hope. Hope. And just like he doesn't expect us to clean up ourselves, he doesn't expect us to clean up others. But here's a little sneak preview of our mission. We are to show others that hope that we live in as they live in hopelessness and they are lost. That is the great mission we have about showing hope. But that pressure of going out and showing hope and having a mission, that can overwhelm. We can forget that too. We might not realize that we are called to that. This was common all the way back to the first disciples. They spent all this time with Jesus. 
Then after he's crucified, they, they scattered. They ran for a few days. They're hiding out. They were just in despair. They were caught in hopelessness. They didn't really know. They were doubting. They were struggling. They had to, had to wonder, what was that all about then? I, that wasn't what they expected it to play out with. He's dead. He's in a tomb. But then, the reason of our hope, he rose. And he was risen. He appeared to them. And they were just filled with joy. And it was incredible at the fact that he is God. He conquered sin and death. Yet, it wasn't all clear even in that time as he would appear over and over to them. Countless people he appeared to. Over the course of that 40 days, the risen Jesus would bop in and out. And he instructed even the 11 to go to Galilee. And here's where we're going to see our passage that gives us our purpose. It is found in Matthew 28. It's a passage that's been called the Great Commission. And it starts here. It says, The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. You see, Jesus had appeared to them. They were filled with joy. They went, and here he is appearing again to them. And they instantly see him, and what was their response? Worship, praise. Jesus is God. He is their Lord. And they worshiped him, all 11 of them. But it said some doubted, or the word could be called hesitated. Well, why do they hesitate? They still weren't sure exactly what their life was now to be all about. Now that he has risen, like, wait, what are we supposed to be doing? In fact, during that period of time, that interim, you see Peter and some of them, they went back to fishing. And they're just found fishing. And they're wondering, what is my life purpose? We all can get caught in that. We can all get caught wondering. But then Jesus gives them a directive. He said, Jesus came near. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's so much in these few verses that we can observe and learn from and apply. And the fact there's so much, maybe that's part of the problem. It can be like making the bed. We don't necessarily get the point or understand it. Or maybe you don't feel very equipped to go to all the nations or to make disciples or to teach people. But this is simpler than you realize. One, you might think, well, I don't get it. We'll give that to the pastors and the church staff and the missionaries. They're going to go do that work. But this mission is for you. Jesus went to the 11 and he said, you, go make disciples. And then teach all those new disciples to, to, to obey everything I've commanded you. And what did he just command them? To go make disciples. And so those 11 would have taught other disciples to also go and make disciples who would go and make disciples and keep teaching. And it multiplies. And so it comes to us. You know, Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth through all time has been given to me. He knew what we needed. He knew you needed purpose and mission. He created you for meaning in him, in that hope. Another thing, if you look at that passage, 
We don't always see this because of the English language, but when it says you and, and the verbs, they're all plural. All the, the, the commands in there are plural. It's you. We naturally read it as individual, but we are a community. This is our mission. Yes, it's your mission. It's my mission, but it's our mission as a church family. Jesus showed the first disciples a way of living together that they knew they needed, that they were to live out together and to show to others in community and multiply it. Now, Randy mentioned I was an engineer. I like numbers. Got some number people out there, right? Okay. Got any wordsmiths, people who like words? Right? I went engineering because I didn't want to write papers. But grammar, anyone ever do like sentence diagramming? I love, the engineer in me loves diagramming sentences. You look at a whole passage, there's a lot of words on the screen, and you go, what is this really all about? If you look at that commission that we were given, number of verbs, go, make, make, teach, baptize, commanded, but the main one, the main verb in there is actually make disciples. That word in the Greek is one word. Make disciples is an action. Make disciples. That is the main one. All those other ones, go, baptizing, teaching, they all hang off of that. The main activity we're told to do is make disciples. You want to also get into the grammar of it? You look at the tense. The tense of that word is present. It's happening. And that one and the word go are in the tense that it means it still hasn't been completed. It's continually happening. So if we were to re-understand those words in our English and look at it for it. This is the secret for today. This is the main thing I'm praying we all catch. As we rewrite that, it's saying, not go make disciples. It's as you are going, be making disciples. The difference is subtle, but do you get it? It's as you are going, as you are living, be making disciples. Just continually do it. It's a process. As you are going means being, making disciples about your life. It means that our Christian mission isn't something we do in addition. It's not something you just check in and do at certain times, and then the rest of it's the busyness of your life. It's not what it's about. It's a shift in your purpose to realize that your purpose is in everything that you are doing. It's that as you are going along doing all the things of life, you are making disciples. Part of making those disciples is celebrating, baptizing someone who becomes a follower. Part of it is teaching them to obey all I've commanded. And that can seem overwhelming because it's hard enough to learn and know all he's commanded, let alone obey, and then to show it to others. But let me just show you that it's easier than you think when you realize that you're called to do it as you are going. We're going to look at one other story here where Jesus is doing that with his disciples. And it takes place, he had the 12 together, and they're celebrating a Passover meal, a holiday, and it will become their last. And so we pick this up here in John 13, and it starts like this. It says, when Judas had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. You cannot come. He knew his time to be glorified had come. He knew that he was to go to the cross. He knew he was going to be betrayed this very night. 
he knows that this, this holiday, this dinner, this was their last, what we call the Last Supper. But they didn't realize it. And they were celebrating. And then he turns to them and he says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He gives them this amazing new command. It's a great verse. The emphasis on love. It's what the Christian life is supposed to be about. It's us reflecting the love of God that he's shown to us and loving one another. And it's a command. It's something he's told to do. So applying our understanding of that great commission, what does that mean for us? That means that as you are going, you are to be teaching one another to love one another. Showing one another how to love one another. As you are going in ordinary life. Like this dinner that they had. They're celebrating a holiday like we're celebrating this weekend. You know, this wasn't the only dinner. They had so many dinners together. They had spent all this time because he invited them in this command, just like he invites them and us in the Great Commission to be together. He said, just as I have loved you. And the way that Jesus did ministry, the way that he did life, was as he was going, he had brought them in. He invited them to be with them. These men were a tight-knit community. They were friends. They spent so much time with him. They shared table many times. Jesus wasn't just a teacher giving commands and saying, all right, I want you to go out and invite the broken and the weak and the troublemakers, invite them too. All those who doubt, the intellectuals, bring them to the table. The spiritually interested, come, bring them, you guys go. And he asked them to go do it. No, Jesus did it. He was the one inviting them. He was the one who was reaching out to the broken. He was the one who saw the hopeless. And he brought them in with them along with the disciples. He did this in ordinary life. He was in the temple. He was at holiday celebrations. He was at a wedding. He was with old and young. He was seen eating and drinking with them. He was traveling. He was staying. He was praying. Jesus was not like John the Baptist. John the Baptist who was separated and off in the desert preaching. But Jesus was in all of the places of daily life. That's where he did ministry. And he invited his disciples to be with him. And it wasn't just the 12. He had women that traveled along with him. There were groups that would come with him. Right? And we see at times he sent 72 out. But he didn't send them alone. He sent them in pairs. Why? Why did he send them together? He said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. You have love one for another. We are to be together as we go out. And those pairs, all those men and women who went out, they had already been invited in to his community and into his life. He engaged in an everyday discipleship. These people often sat with dinner, with Jesus at dinner when he was with those people, a friend of sinners. And it wasn't just Jesus. You realize as they're all sitting together at a dinner table and there's, they're at parties that some of us would be ashamed to be at. Those disciples, these men and women, would be asked questions. And they'd seen Jesus answer. They'd seen one another. They showed each other how to love one another, how to love those who were feeling hopeless, how to love those who were lost. It's important to realize Jesus had amazing teaching. He taught to the thousands. He taught to thousands at a time. 
But where do you think those, those disciples, those closest to him, most integrated the values that Jesus had for them? It's in those intimate times when they were just together, walking, being together in everyday life. Just as I have loved you as we were going in everyday life. He brought them into friendship. He shared life with them. He included even his hardships. So here he is, and he's sitting here at this supper. He knows it's his last, right? He knows what's coming. He gives them the command to love one another. But look back at what we already read here at the beginning. It said, when Judas had left, Jesus said, and then he goes on to say that where I'm going, you cannot come. And they're puzzled. But what just happened? It said, Judas had left. Just before this, Jesus and Judas have a conversation. Judas, we think of as the traitor, the betrayer. But he was invited into that same community, that same friendship, that same love. And Jesus and Judas had a conversation. How Jude, Jesus knew that Judas was about to go betray him, and he says, go. And so Judas leaves. So you realize, as Jesus is turning to the other 11 and saying, love one another, at the very same time, one of his friends is betraying him to death, death on a cross. <laughs> Have you ever been in the midst of an amazing moment? But also there was another situation that was weighing heavily on you. That's Jesus right now. He's trying to savor this last time with his friends, and yet a friend is betraying him. And so let's look at one more passage to see how Jesus still invited those 11 into that time. This is found here in Mark. It said that after that dinner, it says, Then they, Jesus and the 11, came to a place called Gethsem- named Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. And Jesus' deepest struggle, right then, everything that mattered most to him, going to the cross, fulfilling his purpose, you and I, they're all, it's all hanging in the balance right there. And he's grieved. And what does he do? He turns to Peter, James, and John, the three he was most close to, And he shares and he brings them in. And he says, I am deeply grieved. He shares his struggle, his trial, and his pain. And then he invites them. Will you come with me in this time and pray? Just stay awake and pray as we are going. And it says, he went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus goes in prayer and he's with the Father. And he's with the people that he had forged this intimate bond with. Now, were they perfect in this moment? He asked them to stay awake and if you read the rest of the story, you know. He keeps going back and three different times they fall asleep. Right? But they stayed awake enough to at least be praying some because it's the only way we have this prayer is they were awake enough to hear it. They were there. They were with them. They weren't perfect, but they were his friends. And it reminds us we don't need to be perfect friends, perfect in our love. We just need to be friends and be loving one another. 
And we see Jesus bringing him to the one who is perfect, Abba, Father. And you know, one of the greatest parts about this mission, if you go back and read it one more time, it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. There's, a, there's our command. And here's the promise. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how much it hurts or it affects you, no matter your doubts and your hesitations that you're equipped that you can do this, no matter how isolated you can feel in your failures and your sin and in our culture, no matter what, you are not alone. Jesus says, not only can you go together, but I am with you. As you are going, as you are making disciples, I am going too. And I'm always there for you in this mission as you are going, making disciples. That is it. When we hear that, you see this grandiose phrasing, it might seem so big, right? It's like a, such a big mission. But how did it spread from that first communion table to our communion table that we'll share today? How did it get here? Through a lot of everyday disciples who met at everyday dinner tables and in living rooms and in workplace cafeterias and on the road and on road trips and in prayer meetings and in Bible studies and on the soccer field and in the movie theaters and just out living life. That is how it got from there to here, from then to now, as they were going. So maybe it's time for all of us to rethink a little about how we see our mission as, as we are going to make disciples. I'm going to share the story. I was uh, living in Pittsburgh and got five kids, and they do sports, right? And parents love that, right? All the sports and the sports schedules and the practices, and you spend a lot of time on the sidelines, and you're talking to other parents, and I'm befriending some people there. And I remember one of my kids was in soccer, and they came, and they said, actually, we're going to need a coach to coach soccer. My kid played soccer. I never did. I didn't understand. Looking around, all the parents, it's crickets. No one's going to do this. But then I realized that one of my friends, who was a believer, was a great soccer player. He'd played in college. And so I went to him. They say, hey, they need a parent to be the coach. So you want to come do this with me so that as we go together, we can like, love on these kids and help them and teach soccer. But I don't know a thing about soccer. So here's the deal. You coach, I'll just be the figurehead. And he's like, sign me up. And so it was great. So I got to be the coach and I got to do all the PR and be the face. And he just ran all the practices and did the drills and taught them all the skills and coached the games. Um, so I'm out there and we're having a great time getting to know these kids. And I got to know this one dad who would just come and we're spending time together on the sidelines. We realized that we shared some interest in a movie and so invited him if he wanted to go see that movie together. And we did. And then we went and saw another. And then he invited me and my family to a, to a movie, right? And then we're spending time at each other's houses and we had dinner together. And his family, they celebrated Chinese New Year's. Have you ever done that? I was like, no, I haven't. And so we went over to his house for a Chinese New Year party. And we invited some of the other parents and some other people from church that I had were invited. And we would spend all this time together getting to know each other. And our kids would play together then and hang out together. And it was incredible. And I got a chance to share my faith and what Jesus meant and show him that hope. In fact, I invited him to church. And this man and his, and his wife and their family had never stepped foot in church once. 
not for a funeral, not for a wedding. It wasn't part of their spiritual background at all. And I invite him, hey, you want to come to church? And he's like, thought about it. He's like, yeah, actually, I'm really intrigued. I'd love to go. Uh, how much is church? Uh, I was like, what do you mean, how much is church? He's like, well, I mean, I can come. And it's not going to be just me. I'll bring the whole family. I'll spare no expense. You're teaching. I want to come here. How much is church? I'm like, it's free. He's like, free, which is my nickname. He's like, free. It's not free. I don't need you picking up the tab for me just because you're inviting me. I'm like, it literally is free. Like, we don't pay to go to church. But all he knew was he paid for the movies when we went to the movies together. So we figured there was paying to come to church. But that's the good news. It's free. Right? That hope is free. And he came and he loved it. And he loved the love that was there. But what I most loved was seeing a man and his family who had never come to church, sitting in church, seeing the love of a church, meeting all of my friends in church. And you know how he got there? Because our kids played soccer together. That's as you are going. Be making disciples. As you are going, be making disciples. Disciples. How will you make disciples as you are going? I have a few ways that maybe you can consider what it looks like for you because God has a way for you. As you are going, be making disciples in the Word. In the Word. This truth is what guides us, it is our foundation. It's what Jesus said all authority has been given to, to me. Therefore, go. Know the Word. Learning it together, sharing it. Have that truth be on your lips and in your hearts. For some today, that authority of Jesus means you become a disciple and you realize he is the authority. He gives you hope and it's free. And so being a disciple in that truth, going and accepting him as your Lord and Savior, for all of us though, it's knowing it for ourselves. It's knowing what is true and having loving conversations about it, studying it together as you are going. As you are going, you can be making disciples in prayer. We saw Jesus doing that with Peter, James, and John in his biggest struggle. And he brings them in. And he's praying. He's taking them with him. Be praying together. As you are going, be praying together. When a moment arrives, just turn to your fellow believer and say, can we just pray about that? And be praying together. Another way you can do that in prayer is be going before the Lord on behalf of others. When you bring a need of somebody else, you are together with him. You're bringing their needs. One of the ways I'm really excited about this is we are going to be starting here in this fall a thing we're calling our Generations Prayer Team. And we want to invite you all to consider being a part of this. And starting this fall, we'll be having this team where we want our adults here at Rock Point to be praying for all of our youth and our young adults here at Rock Point. As our youth are going out into the culture, middle school, high school, college, encountering all these trials and the brokenness, let us go with them together as they are going in prayer. And so there's a link in your bulletin. You can sign up. You can join this team. We're going to start having people sign up for this. As Randy mentioned, we, I'm going on a mission trip. We're taking three different teams of high school, middle school, and college age on mission and in the meantime, we'll be updating you with prayer requests that you can be praying over the course of the summer for these teams. And in the fall, wouldn't it be amazing if every student and young adult has somebody in this church praying for them all school year? Let's be doing it together as we are going. Two other ways as you are going, make disciples in community. You see that Jesus' key was he pulled people into everyday life, into a tight-knit community. And we have such an incredible love here. Who are you sharing in your community? When, 
Who are you going to invite over for dinner? Who are you going to share your holiday with? Who are you going to spend time with, with other believers? How are you going to be together? Even serving together at church is an amazing way to be together. Right? Serve in a classroom. Sign up together so you can be community and love on our young kids. They, they need it every Sunday. And then finally, as you are going, be making disciples in your community. When he said, love your neighbor, maybe he meant your neighbor. When's the last time you invited a, na- a neighbor over for dinner? Or walk down the street to help a neighbor? Or serve a neighbor? And do something. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your coworker or your classmate. As you are going, who are those people that you want to invite? Who are the ones that you're going to befriend on the soccer sideline? And show them that love and show them that hope. As youth pastor, I pray a lot for our schools. I pray for these young people, the challenges they face. But our parents, you guys are the ones that are going to the soccer games. And you're in the schools. What if your family served in a school? What if we served these great teachers and showed them the hope? What if as we started going into our neighborhoods and our schools, it created opportunities for our families in a school to invite other families from Rock Point to come into a school? And now we have Rock Point coming alongside these young people in tangible ways in their schools, helping them to go be making disciples of their peers and showing hope and finding fellowship in their schools and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. I dream of this for our colleges. I dream of it for every neighborhood. But it's not my dream. It's our dream. It's the one that you were given. So as you were going, the best way to do this is in a tight community of people who follow after Jesus, loving one another, and being, making disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we do lift up our community. Our church community, Lord, you help us just to love one another as you have loved us in prayer and in the word. Would you we be there for one another sharing in joys and in struggles? And then as we are going together, may others see that love and know that we are your disciples, that it points to you and only you, Jesus. You are the only hope. You are our purpose, is to show hope and to live in it. So we pray for our neighborhoods and our communities and our schools and our workplaces. Lord, would you just work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.